Hey folks, just a quick heads up that all episodes of the Film Nuts podcast contain heavy spoilers and some strong language. Nothing too crazy, but make sure there's no one with sensitive ears too close by. And if you like what you hear today, please consider becoming a patron of the show. You can find links to that page in the show notes, or you can visit patreon.com slash film nuts. Okay, anyway, please enjoy the show and thank you so much for listening. Is everything in place? You aren't supposed to relieve me. I know, but I felt like taking a shift. You like him, don't you? You like watching him. Don't be ridiculous. We're gonna kill him. You understand that? Morpheus believes he is the one. Do you? It doesn't matter what I believe. You don't, do you? Did you hear that? Hear what? Are you sure this line is clean? Yeah, of course I'm sure. I better go. I was living on the south side of Chicago. I had a very limited worldview at the time, but I always felt like there was something more. And here you have this group of rebels using these technology tools to basically empower themselves to free their minds, one, but also free themselves from the shackles of this environment that they exist in. To this day, The Matrix, it gives me chills, like thinking about this concept. Hi, I'm Taylor. And welcome back to the Film Nuts Podcast. What are we capable of? What potential lies within each of us? Are we living our best and most true life, or are we held back by external or internal forces? It's these kinds of questions that are the core metaphor of one of the most influential films in all of cinema history. Written and directed by the Wachowskis, 1999's The Matrix almost needs no introduction. When a computer hacker is introduced to an underground resistance, he discovers life as he knows it is an illusion created by machines. The Matrix is a kick-ass, genre-blending sci-fi epic that redefined filmmaking for a new millennium and proved to be a source of inspiration for today's guest. Justin Schaefer is a science TV show host and keynote speaker. He goes by the moniker Mr. Fascinate and is a thought leader on all things STEM, aiming to inspire the younger generation. For him, The Matrix played a huge part in his own discovery of science, technology, engineering, and math. Justin and I talk about virtual reality, the transformation of the Wachowskis as individuals and artists, and the influence elders and role models play in our lives. So let's take the red pill. Here's Justin Shaver talking about The Matrix on the Film Nuts podcast. (laughs) I feel like you you don't stop doing whatever you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm just, you know, I think I'm addicted to excellence. (laughs) I know it probably sounds corny, but it's like the most potent drug for me, man. Like this idea of just doing things that are inspiring to people and like, I don't know. It, and it sounds corny, I'm sure, but it, <laughs> it's definitely like a, a labor of love for me, you know? Um, That's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so, yeah, but I'm, you know, working on a lot of cool projects right now. We're, we're uh, working on a couple of shows that we can't talk about officially. Mm-hmm. And uh, next month, I'm actually releasing this project. It's called High Tech Heroes. So it's like these Afrofuturistic characters that are going to be released as nfts we have five thousand of them 
Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, Tony, in L.A., she's a muralist, has murals all over the city. Mm-hmm. And I convinced her to learn Procreate, the software on Apple. And uh, she hand-drew all 5,000 of these things. So, Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. So we have a really cool original concept that, you know, I think we're, we're going to be excited to unveil to the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've told this story a hundred times, but how did you end up kind of making your niche this like tech industry, this like tech education, outreach, activism, whatever, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, so I think I, the the way to start that story is to talk about me in high school. Like I was a class clown <laughs> growing up, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I was kind of the kid that wasn't interested in science and tech careers. Uh, I had the fortune of going to Hampton University, which is a historically black college, and I ended up really turning my whole life around in college. Got graduated from the top of my class in a science program, and uh, became like the golden boy of Hampton. Ended up going to this tech job. And that's when I recognized, wait a minute, there's no one that looks like me in any of these spaces. Uh, someone needs to be an advocate, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the time, this was pre-influencer marketing and how big of a deal that stuff all is. Right. Uh, this was 2016 that I made this decision. So I walked in my cubicle. I'm like, look, I'm dysfunctional as a tech employee, but I love this <laughs> stuff and I want to spread the love of this to other people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe the best way to do it is to become this like advocate for science and tech careers. I had no business model. I had no financial model. I just knew that is what I really, really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like a Bill Nye the Science Guy type of thing, but yeah. maybe with a little bit more swag. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, yeah, man. So it, it, took, it took a while for, you know, everything to kind of kick off and come to fruition. But a year later, 2017, left my job, moved to New York. And I started doing like after school programs for kids and stuff like that, focused on science and technology. I wasn't making much money at all, but I was always creating content. I was filming a lot of the work that we were doing and mm-hmm. I was demonstrating to other educators how the curriculum I had designed could be used to empower kids. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I got big in New York, man. We worked with tens of thousands of kids all over the city. I had programs in four of the five boroughs in New York. And I was like, okay, I got something cooking here, but my limitation was scale. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to reach kids all over the world with mm-hmm. this program in person. Like I can only be so many places and I can only hire so many people. Mm-hmm. And so media was my vision for how to scale that. Fortunately, I've already been creating a bunch of content. And so I started my first TV show uh, at WGBH in Boston, a production studio. And what was this? 2000, 2000, late, like early 2019. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just kept, you know, doing it. And, and I, I, had a, I had a lot of experience doing keynote speaking for kids and educators. And so that really lent itself to doing a lot of the on-camera talent stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always just been a nerd about science and tech. So it's naturally, like, I, I'm reading about this stuff all the time without anyone telling me to, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So how do you, like, take, how do you, how do you make, the stuff that you're talking about interesting to the people that you want to be interested in it? I think that's a great question, Taylor. Like a, a lot of kids today suffer from PTSD or poor teaching of science disorder. Uh, <laughs> you know, they'll have like a, a barrage of facts like thrown at them yeah, that are yeah. just like igneous rocks and metamorphic rocks. And a kid doesn't really have context as to how that matters or makes sense or why that applies to their everyday lives. I had a kid... I was doing a program in the Bronx uh, in New York for a kid. And he said, look, man, why should I learn about 
organic chemistry when I'm trying to find a way to help my mom put food on the table. Like I want to help mm-hmm. my mom pay her bills. Like this stuff doesn't apply to my life. It's not yeah. real to me. Mm-hmm. And and so to answer your question, Taylor, I, I always try to build backwards from who I'm talking to. Like what are the specific things that they're interested in? Like if kids are interested in sports or hip hop music, I demonstrate to them how STEM is a part of all of those things, right? You need to mm-hmm. understand sound engineering, which is a STEM field in order to build a dope beat or even produce a dope video. And a lot of people don't contextualize it in that way. Um, even like a lot of the young women that we work with, they you know want to make, keep their hair looking nice. And so hair care products are STEM. It's organic chemistry. It's combining mm-hmm. chemicals. There's a chemist at L'Oreal right now making $500,000 a year to make sure that the, the organic chemistry is, is right in these, in these products Sheesh. that they yeah, have the perfect mixture of, of, of chemical compounds. So, uh-huh. you know, my mission with STEM is not like I want to just tell people about these facts. I, my mission is more so about empowering people with information they can use to change their lives and the lives of people they care about. And framing STEM in that way has always given me a captive audience. Well, so, I mean, the whole reason you're here, and now I have to ask this question, how much did the matrix get you interested in tech? Oh man, the matrix is the reason I'm interested in tech. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I, I got it, man. I must've been, I must've been like nine years old when it first came out or something like that. I don't even know. This came out in 99. 90, oh, okay. So I didn't watch it in theaters, but cause I was, I, I was born in 94. So I, was, I would've been five <laughs> when it first came out. But I think I was about nine or 10 and I I was, I guess I was kind of a kid, like a little bit of mature beyond my years type of kid. And so, you know, like I could always understand like concepts. They were always, you know, like ahead of a lot of kids my age. Um, And I just so happened to, you know, watch this movie. And even though I was young and maybe didn't comprehend all of it, like it had a profound effect on me. Like this idea that, I don't know, like I felt like, I mean, I was living on the South side of Chicago. I had a very limited worldview at the time, but I always felt like there was something more. And a lot of those themes are pervasive in the matrix. And here you have this group of rebels using these technology tools to basically empower themselves to free themselves, free their minds, one, but also free themselves from the shackles of this environment that they exist in. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I mean, yeah, like to this day, the Matrix, it gives me chills, like thinking about this concept. (laughs) So, okay, so you saw this movie, uh, not in the theater, saw it when you were younger. Do you remember like the first time you saw it? Do you remember maybe like who you were with or something? Yeah, so I think I was was, was with my mom. I actually saw the Matrix Reloaded before I saw the first one. Hmm, Um, And so, yeah, I saw that one in theaters and I was like, what is this whole thing? It's so (laughs) profound to me. And so I went back and watched the the first Matrix. But, um, you know, my mom is like, she's not like super. She she actually was a programmer at the time, but she's not super Hmm. interested in um, in like 
than like high tech stuff or STEM or any of these kind of things, like organically, right? Like I've helped her become more interested, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so she didn't, I don't think she was very impressed by it, but <laughs> <laughs> like, she was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But for me, I just was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I uh, just made me go back and, you know, do my research and, and yeah, watch the first one. And I just, yeah, like I couldn't get enough of it. Did you, had any of your friends seen it? You know, I don't think so. I, I think this was, an, again, a movie that was a little bit too mature for a lot of the kids that I was around. Mm-hmm. Um, one, like, their parents probably wouldn't let them see it because I think it was, like, I think The Matrix was an R-rated movie. Or reloaded, at least. Um, and, yeah, like, also, yeah, like, I don't know, like, a lot of the kids around me on the south side of Chicago, man, they just weren't really interested in the stuff I was interested in. Like, mm-hmm. um, like science and tech concepts, like, talking about how many moons orbit the planet Jupiter isn't really interesting in a friend group <laughs> when, you know, yeah, like, a kickback or something. And so, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to about this. This was like a, a solitary individual journey in my head when I was watching this movie for years of my life until I finally got a chance to express this part of myself. Hmm. So what, okay, so do you think you can specify what about this movie like got you hooked on it, like got you super invested in it? Um, I think, I mean, it's like, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but if it, the the just conceptually this idea that you know we're living in this world and everything seems normal but there's more out there and you just have to be sensitive to this like these changes for the people this whole group of people to identify you as like oh this one he's a sensitive one he gets it and like they can free you or help you free yourself the matrix is everywhere it is all around us Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. Uh, And then it's just cool, man. It's like this combat scenes are are like, at least in the first three, they were were super dope to me. Morpheus was like such a cool, (laughs) like guiding mentor figure Mm -hmm. to to Neo in in that movie. So, yeah, I mean... It's it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but I and, and just the idea that there's like this whole, I don't know, like techno metropolis that's been mm-hmm. built by these machines. Like it's just it was such an advanced concept to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So, how often have you revisited this since you first saw it? Oh, I, I'll watch The Matrix like every once in a while. Like sometimes I'll watch it for inspiration, um, not even just like uh, like creative inspiration, but like. I don't know, like the, the conceptually it's inspiring, but creatively, like this idea, um, like it was revolutionary at the time to have like these 360 degrees of cameras, to have that one scene, the, the famous like bullet dodge scene in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And I actually do a lot of stuff with VR, AR today. And so I get to see that recreated in a much more high fidelity way, in a much cheaper way today.
only human. Dodge this. But yeah, I'll go back to the Matrix probably like at least two or three times a year, man. Just just to just to freshen myself up. So do you is there is there something different you take away from it each time, or is it just kind of it's the same thing but in a very good way for you? Yeah, I think as yeah as as obviously as I've matured, there's things that I was able to pick up about the Matrix that maybe I didn't catch on the first time, like. Um, like how it's a love story and the parables to like the new Testament in the Bible, uh, and like all of these kind of, um, comparisons that were drawn to other historical works that, um, yeah, like for me, the, the matrix was like the foundational thing. And I didn't realize until I was older that, oh, the Wachowski brothers who are now the Wachowski sisters, interesting enough, have built upon other concepts that are similar. Mm-hmm. So go back real quick about you were watching, you're watching this movie for like conceptual inspiration. What, what inspires you about this movie from that standpoint? The idea that if you free your mind, you can achieve anything like this, this concept that we are a lot more capable than we believe ourselves to be, Mm -hmm. that the things that we believe are possible are, predicated upon our belief about what's possible and uh time and again as much of a pragmatist and a stem guy as i am and like how much i'm aware of like generally what's possible in today's world like from an engineering perspective um there's something to be said about how a profound imagination can shape engineers to build things that they didn't believe could be built Uh, i think a great example of that would be apple right um you know, I've had my my quips with Apple's philosophical perspective on technology over the years, like keeping everything closed. But some of the things they designed, I mean, literally this idea of a of a, a phone with a multi-touch interface, which is what everybody uses for everything today, was once an idea in someone's mind that someone didn't think was practical or feasible. And um, And so, like, I go back to the Matrix to remind myself that I can do anything if I conceptualize it and I inspire enough people and I find the right people that are capable uh, or if I, you know, empower myself, then, then, you know, anything is possible. When you were growing up, did you have individual people in your life telling you something like that? Like you could do anything you set your mind to, or were you, did you maybe latch onto this message because that wasn't there and you were looking for it? So I, I want to give credit to, there's definitely one person in my life, my, my late grandmother, she passed away when I was 16, mm-hmm. but she was a huge influence. And I think my source of self-esteem as a child, she always told me that. She always told me, well, one, she told me I could do anything I could put my mind to. And she always be like, you're the greatest. You, you, I would like do simple things like hook the VCR up to the TV. She's like, oh, I didn't know how to, how did you do that? He's a genius. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so but then simultaneously, she would say things like, you're better than nobody and nobody's better than you. And, you know, for so long, I was this like mm-hmm. rational kid. Right. And so I'm like, this is a contradiction. You know, she's telling me that <laughs> I'm the mean, greatest. <laughs> yeah. How can I be the greatest and simultaneously better than no one and no one's better than me? Like, mm-hmm. if that's the case, I'm not the greatest. Right. And so I would always try to poke holes in it. But later on, it, you know, once I kind of developed more, I started to understand 
um, what she meant by that. So, you know, she helped me develop this sense of, of self-esteem that is not like, I don't know, making other people, putting other people down. Like my, my, mm. the source of my confidence doesn't come from uh, other, like, like making other people feel less than. In fact, I want other people to feel as empowered as I do. And I think that comes across, um, you know, because in large part, because of some of the things that she imprinted upon me. So, uh, I mean, yeah, so a lot of the, like, even after she passed away, like a lot of the concepts in the matrix, I think can remind me of a lot of my interactions with her because she in some ways was my Morpheus, right? Like <laughs> I was this rational kid that thought in terms of rules and, um, you know, uh, if then statements <laughs> and she's like, no, you can do anything. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and like, you know, she was able to keep stretching my imagination in that way. Um, whereas, you know, I think a lot of people in the science and engineering fields, um, we get stuck in what we think is currently possible. And a lot of times don't use our imaginations to project what could be possible, uh, given an unforeseen scientific breakthrough. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to the Film Nuts podcast. Forgive the intrusion as I quickly tell you how you can support us. It's real simple. Just subscribe on your listening platform of choice to stay up to date on all of our episodes. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. That's going to help us get noticed by other awesome people like yourself. Okay, now let's plug back in. So let's say you're in you're in the position of your grandmother and or Morpheus, and you're talking to someone who maybe is you like as the little kid, like how do you get kids to like believe what you're saying? Man, this is, this is getting deep, man. <laughs> I, I try to do my homework, man. <laughs> no, this is cool. I, this is cool. So I think, I mean, if, if we, if we really look at it conceptually, I could argue that I, in my keynotes and in my programs, I am the Morpheus for these kids to the matrix, taking them out of the matrix that is their everyday lives and showing them the real world, which is so much bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do that by showing them how cool this stuff is. Right. Like kids at the end of the day are kids. You don't want to wag your fingers at them and tell them how many lucrative career opportunities there are, because a lot of times they don't really care about that, like in the same way that an adult would. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Or you got to get this certification because it's important. Like it's just going to go in any year, one year and come out the other. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I come in instead and, you know, like some of the stuff we worked on, like I show them videos of me, like driving Teslas and uh, mm -hmm. in Dubai and, you know, traveling to Australia. I'm like, yeah, this is because of STEM. STEM mm -hmm. through STEM, I've been able to do these things. And so, you know, you get these oohs and ah reactions from kids because I'm from the south side of Chicago. So I'm going to these kids in the city that have never seen a black man do these things. And I'm like, look, I'm free. This is, this is what freedom looks like. And I've, mm. I was able to achieve that freedom through STEM. In the same way that Morpheus goes to Neo and he's like, free your mind. Open yourself up to what's possible. Like, think differently. Follow some of these steps and you can get there. But the rest is up to you. What are you waiting for? You're faster than this. Don't think you are. Know you are. Stop trying to hit me and hit me.
trying to do. And I mean, and that's kind of, in a way, that's in a nutshell what my message is. is like, hey, this stuff is cool, right? This stuff is fun. You can make a lot of money. You can do a lot of really cool work. Um, but in order to get there, you know, you're going to have to work hard. And I think that's not something that kids are afraid of. You know, a lot of times people accuse mm-hmm. kids uh, that are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds of being lazy or not hardworking. Mm-hmm. But it's just that they're not intrinsically motivated in the same way that they might be intrinsically motivated to be uh, a, a basketball a basketball player because of ESPN or a rapper because of MTV. So, mm-hmm. you know, the same way that ESPN inspires them in sports, like my work is to inspire them in STEM. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, like I I think, yeah, in that way, that, that kind of makes me a Morpheus of sorts. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you you keep coming back to Morpheus. So like in this film, are you, our protagonist is obviously Neo, but are you someone who's identifying with Morpheus more or is it at one point did you relate to neo yeah i think i think i related a lot more to neo in my younger years and even even maybe a few years ago um i saw myself more in the neo role i felt out of place i felt literally like quite literally i felt dysfunctional as an employee at my tech job sitting in that cubicle and it reminded me of those moments when neo's mm-hmm. had his boss complaining about you know like hey you're not doing what you need to do You have a problem with authority, Mr. Anderson. You believe that you are special, that somehow the rules do not apply to you. Obviously, you are mistaken. This company is one of the top software companies in the world because every single employee understands that they are part of a whole. Thus, if an employee has a problem, the company has a problem. The time has come to make a choice, Mr. Anderson. Either you choose to be at your desk on time from this day forth, or you choose to find yourself another job. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Mr. Reinhardt, perfectly clear. Um, you know, I was able to finesse and get by, but I just felt completely out of place. I was like, this is not for me. This is definitive. I'm 100% sure this is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was something more, right? Um, I was aware. Even growing up in Chicago, right, I was this nerdy kid that, I don't know, like I kept that side of myself secret. Like I became a class clown because the part, the nerdiest parts of myself, uh, I didn't feel confident in expressing them. I was a kid that got like perfect scores on like SATs and stuff, or not SATs, but like uh, standardized tests mm-hmm. uh, growing up. And, and then in my teenage years, I said, all right, this is not cool. So let me just stop doing that. And, you know, because I, as a teenager, for whatever reason, desperately wanted to fit in, Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, never achieved that goal, right? I never fit, fit in. And, um, and so I think the transition has happened since I decided to leave the matrix, right? And, and <laughs> bet on myself in 2017, I quit my job, moved to New York. And, um, and yeah, at that point, that's when I really started opening my mind to what was possible. I met entrepreneurs all over the world. I met like black and brown people or people from all backgrounds that were doing really cool things that I didn't know were lucrative and you could make money doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every day I get to basically live in this like Wakanda of sorts. It's like mm-hmm. super high tech environment where I'm surrounded by smart people doing innovative stuff. And so like my conception of what's possible has dramatically changed even in the past few years. And so that has kind of incited my transition to more of this morpheus like role where i'm this mentor figure to these kids and exposing them to what's possible because i've seen it already Mm -hmm. so like 
the the Matrix as a film is, and the Matrix as, as a concept within the film is a metaphor. Like it's all about you know the the messages breaking free, you know, standing out amongst the crowd, kind of doing your own thing, um, which works perfectly well with how the Wachowskis have evolved as people and as artists. But I think what I think is I'm going to take it literal for a second. So I know you're very much into the metaverse. You're doing a lot with VR and AR. So what is your take on the current level of VR and the metaverse? Like, are we going to get to an actual literal matrix (laughs) somewhere down the line? (laughs) <laughs> so fun, funny enough, Taylor, I think, again, great question. I'm actually working on a show where we're trying to figure that out right now. So oh, wow. there's a problem. I don't know if you ever heard of the Uncanny Valley. Have you heard of this before? Riff, I've heard it, but please elaborate more for me. So the Uncanny Valley is this phenomenon where essentially uh, it, it creates this unpleasant or uncomfortable feeling in the observer because they're seeing something that is somewhat human but not all the way human. Mm-hmm. So things like zombies uh, or even a dead person can incite this reaction in people because they, they know it's human, but it's not all the way alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, some of the low resolution and low fidelity VR experiences today can produce that effect in the viewer, in the person that's experiencing it. And so not only does that make it less immersive because it doesn't feel all the way human, mm-hmm. but it also can makes people feel like weirded out. And uh, I've experienced it a little bit. Uh, the first time I jumped into uh, Horizon Worlds, this is a VR application. Um, uh, so I put my VR headset on, and it's like an online VR world where you get to meet up with people. And so there's this little kid that like, comes up when I first log into the, the, the world. Little, this little kid walks up to me, and like, his, his mouth isn't matching his face, and his voice isn't matching his body. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? And he's like trying to get clear. And I'm like walk, trying to move away from him. Mm-hmm. And he's like physically walking up to me. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. <laughs> and, and so it kind of it creeped me out in this way. I'm like, I don't. I, yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't mess with Horizon Worlds for another week after that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this thing is kind of weird. But, you know, over time I got desensitized. And I think, you know, to further elaborate, I'm very impressed with where VR has come in the past few years. Like, when was the last time you used a VR headset, Taylor? Um, probably like maybe two years ago. So have you haven't used the Quest Two at all, then? No, I don't. Th- I think it was the, the first. No, Oculus. That was the one I used. Oculus. Oculus yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I I had a couple of the ones that adapt to your phones and things like that. So mm-hmm. you would probably be very impressed by how far this technology has come. So you can see even like I'm, I'm recording this from my living room for anyone listening, and you can see there's like there's a lot of open space behind me, um, and that's because I basically drawn out this physical space in my in my house where I can operate in like physically so mm-hmm. you can now move you can now walk around in VR environments um mm-hmm. and you can like so there's a boxing application where mm-hmm. um like you put the headset on and in real time it like you have these little hand controllers and it actually like judges the strength of your punch by the speed at which you're moving the controller oh, wow. and you know you can dodge and get out of the way it is extremely immersive i literally use it three or four times a week as a workout um <laughs> and so so that was cool to me but then my mind was completely blown when a friend of mine took me in, back into horizon worlds i finally mustered up the strength to get back into it and she took me to like this one-on-one virtual meeting and we went to a party at a house like a house is about the size of my apartment 
And there were like 20 people in there. And the closer in proximity you got to these people, the louder their voices got. Like literally I could whisper in your ear, Taylor, mm-hmm. if, we were, if we were in VR together and the person across the room can't hear it. And then there was music playing at the party. But if I physically grabbed the microphone with my hands in VR, spoke into it, everyone in the house could hear what I was saying. Wow. Right. Uh, but then the music got a little bit too loud and intrusive because we were standing close to the speaker. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to have, continue the conversation outside of the house. Right. Um, and so there's experiences like this and I can keep elaborating that we're extremely immersive, but still we have these cartoony avatars, and uh, that is kind of the pain point. So I visited this place called Metastage for this show that we recently shot and they're creating 3D photorealistic avatars. And so what they've done is they put me into this um, similar to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. They put me into this volumetric capture room where it's like 360 degrees of cameras and a green screen. Mm-hmm. And I literally did the Matrix for, as my performance. <laughs> and so what they're, able, what they're able to do is capture the nuance of facial expressions with a super high degree of texture and fidelity to the point where you're creating like photorealistic 3D avatars. And so I think a that's not feasible for an everyday performance, right? Mm-hmm. But I think a version of that that uses AI, for example, to take pictures of your face from different angles could simulate how photorealistic that performance has become. At some point, I'm going to be able to show you uh, exactly what that 3D asset looks like because it's mm-hmm. really, really cool. Um, but, but yeah, like to answer your question in this long-winded way... <laughs> I think absolutely we're going to get there. The same way that if you think about, what was it, like 50 years ago with Atari, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had like two, like, like two bit like Pong paddles oh, yeah. hitting a ball across from each other. And today we can create things with computers that we can't distinguish from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm imagining 50 years from now, VR will evolve into a photorealistic uh, experience for people. And that prospect excites me because I love the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the movie is about breaking out of <laughs> the matrix, Funny which enough, is why right? I'm like, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like anti it or anything like that. I'm just very curious as to like, we have these cautionary, these cautionary movies about the far advancements of technology and science. And they're always disguised as something really cool and fun, which Obviously it is. I mean, it's virtual reality. It's, it's wild. It's wild stuff. Is there anything like, is there something that society or developers of these programs that are getting more and more realistic and immersive, is there something they have to watch out for? Like, is there, is there any kind of like moral ambiguity going on. And I, I asked this because I'm genuinely curious, not because I've, I've landed in a camp about it. No, I think that's a, um, an extremely important question to ask. Um, there's all kinds of platforms out there like OpenAI, which originally was founded by Elon Musk, but they've kind of separated uh, to like, make sure that they're sufficiently advanced AI that's open source so that one AI, one artificial intelligence doesn't get more powerful than another mm-hmm. one. Um, Interesting. But I think there's even more to be said about the monolithic nature of the people that are designing these applications, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So many of these people come from the same kind of background with the same kind of experience, and they create things that marginalize the same people every time. And so what it takes is, and again, this is kind of coming full circle with my mission to empower kids with STEM, 
It's like it takes kids from diverse backgrounds to get into these career fields to advocate for themselves, their communities, and their culture to ensure that representation exists in the future. Mm. Um, so that's another piece of it. But also, I mean, there's all these right apocalyptic doomsday scenarios that could occur. Yeah. Um, and I think that is that is something that yeah, I think will always be an existential risk to humanity. Right. We will yeah. always be seeking more convenience. We'll always be seeking to push the boundaries of what we can explore or, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we can find or what we can do. And um, a lot of times, especially places like Silicon Valley, favor that progress over uh, caution. And um, I think what it'll take in the future is regulatory bodies that are a little bit more fast paced and advanced to actually keep up with the pace of innovation and effectively regulate it. Because Mm -hmm. right now, these people in Silicon Valley are doing stuff unregulated. Like blockchain is just now like Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies Mm -hmm. are just now beginning to um, like have a regular regulatory, uh, you know, the government is just now beginning to regulate some of these projects. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, I think it's going to take a while for them to even catch up. And by that point, there's already going to be so many new things out there that they haven't designed caveats for. And mm-hmm. so our bureaucratic you know, system of government is, is designed to fail in a fast paced innovation economy. And so, yeah, I think that so, that, yeah, so we need political representation, we need diversity and we need businesses that are opening to make sure that the, the gap between one Artificial intelligence, just as an example, doesn't become so pervasive that it overpowers everything. Mm. But it's a it's a huge question, Taylor. I think it's a multifaceted issue. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting a clean cut answer either. Like that, it's just, it's it's way too complex for anybody to answer inside of like inside of a soundbite. <laughs> um, okay, so back to this movie. Tell me about what's your favorite moment or scene from this film. Man, um, I think the easy answer is the bullet dodge one, but I want to say it's when um, when Neo, it's like the, the death and resurrection. Now get up. recognizes that he gets he gets shot by the agents like they catch him red-handed they all like shoot him and he's 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 dead like in this in the matrix Mm -hmm. and i think it's at this point that he finally wakes up to what he's capable of because there's something in him one his love for trinity and two i think his just awareness of what's possible that makes him recognize i refuse to accept this i'm not dead this Mm -hmm. is not this didn't happen Mm -hmm. and like from that simple acceptance of 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 his refu- like from, just simply from him refusing to accept it he's able to then you know revive and uh and then defeat the agents right 
uh, I think that again, it's it's like a it's like a powerful testament to how capable the mind can be on shaping our perspective on things, on our on our outlook, on you know how likely we are to survive or succeed. That's great, man. So, I guess piggybacking off of that, why should people see this movie if they haven't seen it yet? Man, if you haven't seen The Matrix, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> no, so I think if you if you haven't seen The Matrix yet, if you're one of those people that's lived under the rock for 20 years and hasn't seen The Matrix, um, I I think that, one, if you're a film nerd and like CGI is, is of interest to you and those kind of things, like The Matrix was a pioneer in computer technology at the time. Um, they set the precedent for what a lot of a lot of things ended up doing in the future, like Avatar and some of these other really advanced videos. But I think even if you're not a film nerd, if you know you want, if you're a sci-fi nerd, I think it checks all the boxes there. Um, if you're interested in an inspirational tale that will open your mind to what you might be capable of that you've underestimated, I think The Matrix is also great for that. Hmm. Is there anybody that you've introduced this movie to? Yeah, anyone anyone that hasn't seen it, I've I've probably converted half the people I know that haven't seen it to to Mute Matrix movie watcher. Is is there a is there a particular uh, story you have from like you getting somebody to watch it and they're like, "Yo, thank you for making me watch this" or something? I think, okay, so I do remember my undergraduate degree, my marine science program, we had a movie night and uh, had a bunch of bootleg movies on my hard drive. And one of them was The Matrix. This is pre-Netflix, pre-HBO, all that. Pirate Bay, so, right, there, right? Yeah, so, yeah, LimeWire, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So so I, I had The Matrix on there. And, um, yeah, like we ended up doing I was like a junior, senior, so I kind of led the the movie night and we played the matrix and yeah, like a lot of these kids were like, wow, that was, you know, such a cool concept. But I think also what's happened is the bar has raised so much for people in terms of um, like digital effects and storytelling that for some people, they, it may be difficult for them to appreciate how revolutionary it was at the time. And so mm-hmm. for someone like me, there may be like this nostalgic reason that I keep going back to the matrix and appreciating these things that, I don't know, the same way that someone tried to expose me to Blade Runner, for example, mm. the sci-fi. Um, and I, I don't know, it just didn't really do for me what it seemed to have done for so many generations of people, you mm. know? Um, and I think it's the storytelling and, and the, the, the CGI and all that was, was so archaic at this point that it felt like I couldn't, like it, 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 it took me out of the immersion yeah. uh, of the story. So I don't know, maybe... Now, if I like tell like a Gen Z kid, for example, hey, man, you got to watch The Matrix. They're going to be like, "Ah, it's kind of played, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's sad. Um, And what's also really sad is I I was really disappointed in The Matrix 4, man. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. I haven't seen it. I don't think I'm going to. to. (laughs) You don't need to. The only thing. Yeah. yeah, The only thing I would say is for narrative continuity, like there were some questions that were were open ended things that got answered. Mm -hmm. But even those things, I didn't feel like it was worth sitting through that <laughs> to get what they call the matrix four, which I, it felt like a cash grab. It felt like, I mean, I just love the trilogy so much. Right. And it had such a profound effect on me. And to see this thing, like have like, I don't know, run of the mill combat scenes, mm-hmm. like, uh, 
you know, just like a, a really easy to follow storyline. There wasn't, there was no nuance to it. Mm. A rendition of old characters that weren't as good as the previous ones. Mm. Um, they didn't do the previous ones justice. I don't know, man. I could go on and on, but <laughs> <laughs> no, we can we we can stop there with that one. I think it, you know it's really interesting to me. I think you brought this up, and we didn't dive deeper on it, like the Wachowski brothers, right? And their open-mindedness, right? Like this idea that, um, you know, here you have, like, I think it was Lana Wachowski first, if I remember correctly, that uh, decided to transition, right? From, you know, to, to have this operation and, and get all this work done. Um, and then the other brother transitioned as well. And now they're both like Wachowski sisters. And I don't know, something... Like to me, I, as soon as I saw that headline, I'm like, man, these they gotta be super creative because like there's like this acceptance of like fluidity and like oh like none of like like I, I can just do it like, again. I think it's a manifestation of like I can just do anything, right? Um, and I yeah, I mean you know people there's there's a lot of controversy around you know the trans community and people's thoughts about you know where those things go. But I thought it was so cool that they refused to accept what society had placed on them. And that so reminded me of like, that's such a matrix thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm just going to change. Yeah. They broke out of their own matrix. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think to create a movie like that, you have to be, uh, you have to have a certain level of, of freedom. And I don't know, a lot of the sci-fi uh, these days feels like big budget cash grab, same narrative. We're not going to break the mold. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Every once in a while, this is like I'm a huge sci-fi guy, and um, every once in a while, there's a groundbreaking sci-fi that I feel like decides to break the rules and makes it through the approval process, right? Um, yeah. To get all the way to to being sold at this, this high level, and um, those are the those are the concepts that that excite me the most and inspire me the most. Most of the time, I find myself reading sci-fi these days more than watching mm -hmm. movies, though. I think it's interesting what you brought up about the Wachowskis because being where they are now in their lives and talking about their transition, it reminded me, I think it's, I'm going to, it's, I'm not going to directly quote this because I'm going to not quote it correctly, but Steven Spielberg, something said something along the lines of, um, I don't go to therapy. I make movies. And, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like that could have been true for the Wachowskis at that point, like doing this, making this film together and realizing that, the movie that they were making was applying to their own lives. I think it's all got all kinds of like meta threads going through it, which is really cool. I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, as creative people, like I think we kind of aspire to have all of our creative work be a reflection of our inner selves in that way. And, you know, for me that again, it had that profound effect on me as a young kid. And uh, I mean, even to this day, like the stuff I put out, I want it to be me, you mm -hmm. know, I want it to feel like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Justin, dude, thanks so much for talking about this movie with me, man. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, this was awesome, man. Thank you for, for asking me about The Matrix. I could talk about The Matrix all day. <laughs> At some point in our lives, I feel like we've all gone through a stage of who am I? Even if it's brief, that question has the potential to either haunt or motivate us. What is possible when we apply ourselves? What's standing in the way? of what we want. How can we become our truest selves? I, I hate to sound trite, but I do feel like 
we all have our own matrix to break free from, be it large or small in significance. And things that make it easier to be who we're meant to be are these support systems like role models, elders, or friends. A big thanks to Justin for chatting with me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. If you want to check out some of Justin's work, I really encourage you to do so. It's amazing. Head on over to the show notes for more information and some links. This season's theme is brought to us by The Deep End. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out on Twitter at Film Nuts Podcast or send an email to hello at filmnutspodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on all of our episodes and please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing. Thanks again so much for listening. Until next time, keep your eye out for glitches.